We're thankful you're here this evening and for the time we have to study together. We're thankful for your presence. As we said this morning, there are a lot of places that many folks could be on a day like today, enjoying this beautiful weather, but we're thankful that you have chosen to be here. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, and we're going to take a look at this entire book tonight in 30 minutes or less, I promise. It is a challenge, but hopefully encouraging to you. I've shared with you before that uh, taking a look at this, uh, this style of looking at a book of the month club, if you will, taking a look at each book of the Bible is a little challenging. Uh, it began, or I borrowed the idea from Brother Chad Dollahite that preaches down for the Bremen congregation, and uh, his videos are on YouTube, so I can a lot of times look at those and see maybe any points he brought out. The one thing I always leave out is his sermon times always start with a four in the front, so at least over 40 minutes. So I try to keep it under 30, but it sometimes means that we have to take a very uh, high look at the book, a very uh, you know high overview, and it's hard to bring out a lot of the things, and there are so many good things in these Old Testament books to look at, uh, but hopefully it can be encouraging to you even as we try to take a look at them uh, tonight. When we think about the book of Leviticus, I will not ask you for a show of hands, but I think we might get a few. This is usually where all of us do really good. January 1st, we're going to read our Bible through in a year. And we get to Leviticus and we say, eh, maybe there's not all it's cut out to be. You know, I'll just skip over Leviticus, go on to something else. Because Leviticus is pretty much kind of difficult sometimes. It's kind of hard to read. We've joked with our young people and talked about looking at the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is great, and there are a lot of good stories in the book of Exodus. But there are also a lot of chapters that you say, well, I just would rather skip over this. I don't have to worry about where to put the blood of the bull. I don't have to worry about how many horns are on the lampstand. It doesn't matter. It doesn't exactly matter, but there's still some encouragement to be had, as we've done with the book of Exodus. And tonight we want to think about Leviticus. When it comes to Leviticus, again, just hitting on some high points, when you think about the name, the name Leviticus actually comes from the Greek translators of the Old Testament. We commonly refer to it as the Septuagint. Uh, but the Greek translators of the Old Testament gave the book the name of Leviticus because it actually discusses in a very small part, we'll come back to that, but discusses in a very small part the spiritual service that was administered by the Levites. And again, we're going to look at a better name maybe as we go through it here, but that is where the title of Leviticus came from, and you hear the idea of Levite in there. The Jewish tradition, maybe we would say the rabbis, called it either the law of the priest or the law of offerings. The book actually begins with five, the laws for five different offerings. So the rabbis called it either the law of offering, offerings or the law of the priest. Maybe the best title, in a way, is the Hebrew title. The Hebrew title was actually the first four words. If you have turned to Leviticus in your Bible, the Hebrew title of the book was And the Lord Called, or Now the Lord Called, depending on the version you're looking at. And while that would be a really strange title for the book of the Bible, uh, it maybe makes the most sense in a way because the book of Leviticus is about God's call. God's call to his people, to how they would have access to him, how they would worship him in his holiness and be in his presence. And of course, to be a part uh, of him in, a, in the sense to have that communion with him. So the Hebrew title, and again, this one may be the one that fits the closest, but the Hebrew title was, And the Lord Called. But, of course, for our Bibles today and the way most people know it, we go by Leviticus, which came from the Septuagint. 
We begin tonight, and again, it's hard to know exactly how to take a look at some of this, but we begin tonight to, by taking a look at a couple, uh, two actually, of maybe purposes of the book of Leviticus. Number one, or one, would be to show God is holy and man is sinful. Do we really need a reminder of that? Well, yeah, the children of Israel did, and we do as well. Thus, man must continually return to God for cleansing and forgiving. Now, as you have noticed, and many of you I've become to know well, and you're Bible students, and you're here for Bible class, you understand, of course, the big picture. You understand many of the themes that run through the Bible. The idea, of course, of cleansing and forgiving. We know in 1 John chapter 1, and verse number 7, that John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, not the Leviticus, not the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ... In a similar sense, though, cleanses us from all sin. First John chapter 1 and verse number 7. One of the purposes of the book of Leviticus might be to show that God is holy and man is sinful. And we're in need of that. You know, it's, it's interesting in, in preparing these lessons. I didn't necessarily plan, even as I said last week, to, to do some of these. The word sin we talked about last week went right along with our lesson of the scheme of redemption. In a way, Leviticus has many comparisons. But as we said this morning, the problem with repentance sometimes for people is to say, I'm a sinner in need of the cleansing blood of Christ. And so the book of Leviticus would do well, not only, of course, for the things that were written down, the laws and the things that were told, but to remind mankind as well that, yes, God is holy, man is sinful, and thus there is a need for cleansing, for forgiveness, and for that to take place in order for there to be communion. A second purpose or another one might be to show how a sinful people can approach a holy God. Again, when we think about the fact that God is holy, he desires for us to be holy, but of course we can't do it in and of ourselves. How can a sinful people approach a holy God? I've said many times to you already, even in the few months we've been together, I'm very thankful that there's no need to, to kill a lamb or a bull, to have the blood up here, to have some type of altar up here, that we have to do that. We have to spread blood all over the place in order to try to cleanse us or to be acceptable to God. I'm very thankful that God's old covenant does not extend to us today in that same sense. It's kind of humorous to think about as we say about some things, but yes, there has always been a need for a sinful people to approach a holy God. And Leviticus would give the children of Israel, and don't forget, it is very good after we come out of Exodus that we talk about uh, Leviticus tonight because we are talking about the redeemed. We are talking about the children of Israel. We're going to talk in just a moment again, the reminder, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, he says. I have redeemed you. And so he's going to give them the instructions. Before we get to a brief outline, uh, just a mention of time. This would have been the time place. Uh, some people say, and you could spend lots of time with uh, scholars looking at the years, that the date of the writing would have been about 1450 B.C. 1450 B.C. It would have, some people say, been written about the time period of two months or less than two months, around the time of the wanderings between Egypt and Canaan at Mount Sinai, that a lot of this would have been written. To take a look at a brief outline tonight, this is, um, again, very large or, or very zoomed out kind of look at things. I'll throw several of these up there. 
Uh, but to break it down, the first seven chapters are about five kinds of offerings. Burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. Again, I can understand, and I didn't ask you to show your hands, but I can understand how you might get to Leviticus and say, I'm going to take a hard left here and move on to something else to read. Because we, who, you know, what do we need to know about peace offerings or grain offerings? But it spends several chapters discussing that. Number two, the priests are mentioned in chapters 8 through 10. I would point out again, Leviticus may not be the best name in a sense. There's only a very small section talking about those who'd be Levites who would serve as priests. Uh, but yet that's what we have. So the priests are mentioned. And in chapters 11 through 16, there is the teaching on cleanness and uncleanness. Again, Bible students that you are, I know you're familiar with this. Part of it discusses clean and unclean animals. Part of it discusses leprosy. Some of these things that might not apply to us today, but was important for them to know and to understand God was going to give them these instructions. A few more here to get to the end of the book. Uh, chapter 17 through 20 talked about holiness. We're going to talk about holiness in a moment. It would talk about blood, how to deal with blood. We talk about sexual, sexual purity. We talk about dealings with neighbors, strangers, farming issues, the Sabbath. All of these things are included in part of these sections. Uh, and then there are a couple of chapters, again, on priests and the feasts that they would go through, blessings and cursings, and vows and tithes. I would challenge you to maybe pick up your Bible this week and read through some of this. I get, I get it that it's not exactly um, as applicable to us, but you can learn a few things along the way. And maybe you can remind yourself of the big picture of what God is going through as he's sharing these instructions with the children of Israel, with his people. A few key words tonight. First of all, holiness. The word holiness is used around 87 times in the book of Leviticus. If you ask me tonight to sum up the book of Leviticus, let's get past the offerings, let's get past everything, to sum up the book of Leviticus in one word, it might be holiness. As we've said already, a holy God trying to bridge that gap between sinful people. So the book talks a lot about holiness. And in the same context, but on the opposite side, if you will, 194 times the idea of sin or uncleanness is discussed. Not necessarily just the word, but the idea of sin or uncleanness. And so we understand how important it is that God is trying to get this message across to his people. The deadliness of sin and the importance of holiness. As well, 89 times the word blood is used. We'll look at a verse that points that out in just a moment. But even as we discussed this morning with baptism, the idea of coming in contact with the blood of Christ. The Hebrew writer saying, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We need the shedding of blood. Blood is very important. And then finally, the word atonement. Again, in a similar idea of all of these things, the word atonement is used around 45 times through the book of Leviticus. A key phrase, I am the Lord your God. 21 times it's used in some form or fashion there. You know it. We've sung it in different songs. But several things here as God is making these points to the children of Israel. I am the Lord. I am the one Lord. There is a sense of, of this idea, of course, of God being the only one. And we may say that sounds kind of silly. The world may say that sounds kind of silly. 
But have you ever had that uh, dating relationship? Of course, many of us now in a marriage relationship. What are we looking for? We're looking for the one who is the star, the one who is the one that we are the closest to, the apple of our eye. We say we want one. God says, I am the Lord. And of course, he says they're your God. There's a personal nature as well. As we said this morning, too, about Jesus. Jesus came. He died. He shed his blood. Don't you think he would give us instructions on how to be acceptable? God says, I am the Lord, your God. I am a personal God. I'm going to give you instructions on how to be holy and acceptable, how we can have this relationship. The problem that we have is he gave us his terms. He gave us his way of how we would be acceptable. Where most of us go, well, I mean, what about what I want? What about the way I feel about it? God has said, I am the Lord, your God. I will be a personal God to you, but will be in the ways that I have told you to follow along with what I have said. A key story. If you think about the book of Leviticus, you might turn over to Leviticus chapter 10. There are very few stories in the book of Leviticus because it is all of the things that should be eaten or not eaten, all the things that should be um, taken care of in order to sacrifice and offer. But there is one story that we know very well, Leviticus chapter 10 and verses 1 through 7, the story of Nadab and Abihu and their profane fire before the Lord. And notice, again, in conjunction with our lesson this morning, it is about what God has said. Notice at the end, I have the New King James in front of me, but chapter 10 and verse number 1, they put incense on it and the fire and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. In our Bible class this morning, Adult Classroom 1, Heath did a, a wonderful job of guiding our thoughts, and he, we talked about the fact that Sometimes we don't understand why things are to be done a certain way. And of course, I brought up the example of having young children at home. We go back and forth, but sometimes we tell them, you should not stick your finger in the socket, I think is one of the examples that Heath used, because you're going to electrocute yourself. Yet other times we say, don't do that or don't do this. And the answer is simply because I said so. And we say, well, wait a minute. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Why did you say so? Who made you boss? Well, we treat God the same way sometimes. God has given us the way that he wants us to live, the way that he wants, that he wants us to worship him. And yet sometimes we find ourselves in the same camp as Nadab and Abihu. What does it mean what God says or what God wants? What about what I think about things? But of course, as we know, with Nadab and Abihu, they offer this profane fire. And the fire went out from the Lord in verse number 2 and devoured them. And even the Old Testament, there's a lesson about God and his commandments and what, the way that he has told us to live. A couple of key verses tonight before we make some application to ourself. Uh, number one, Leviticus 11 in verse number 45. Leviticus 11 in verse number 45. As God is talking about unclean animals here, unclean animals in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45, he says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And again, that's mentioned in many different places as God talks about giving them these instructions. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And again, to us, there's an importance if we, as we have just looked at the book of Exodus. As God says time and time again, I am the God. I'm the God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I'm not some random God. 
You're not some random people that we just picked out of the luck of the draw. We have a relationship. We have a history. I have done this for you. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And of course, the same thing goes for us today, even though we don't have the same set of instructions to live by. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11. Leviticus 17 and verse number 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The importance of blood is, is just, it's just too much to even scoff at or even imagine when it comes to the Bible. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the, lamb, or the blood of lambs and bulls and goats to the, lamb, the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God. We see the connection. If you've ever studied the types and antitypes in the Bible, there's so much encouragement there. And we think about this idea of the life is in the blood. It's encouraging to know that, again, God does not just make a bunch of random instructions. He did not just sort of jumble up a bunch of things and spit out his instructions and his rules for the people, his laws. But when we think about the life of the flesh being in the blood, he was beginning to set a principle for all time, of course. One more here for us this evening, Leviticus chapter 27 and verse number 34. That's all the way to the end. Leviticus 27 and verse number 34. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Kind of a weird end, or maybe a very short end to a lot of things that are included in Leviticus. You know, I, I have got to know many of you here, and, and I know that you enjoy humor like I do. It's why we had the lesson a few weeks ago. And I tend to kind of sometimes think about things in a humorous way, but this is another one of those verses. Because to me, I read it as we sometimes do with our children or with others. When you give a whole long list of things and you say, well, there you go, that's it. You're like, that's all it is, right? So, I mean, here at the end, it seems like a very funny end to me is there's all of these instructions that have been given. And the last verse is, these are the commandments. There you go. And you're like, that's it? You know, if Hannah takes our kids and does uh, the schooling with them in the morning and she says, well, you need to do five chapters of math and read four chapters out of your book and you need to write your words ten times, you know, okay, that's all you got to do. That's all I got to do? What do you mean? That's a whole lot. Well, when you come to the end of the book of Leviticus, these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Yeah, it's a very succinct way to include a lot. But whether it's a lot or whether it's little, whether it's the actual things they had to do in the Old Testament, or even as we shift to the New Testament, and God gives us different instructions. And Jesus says multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but now I say unto you. The idea, of course, being you have heard it said, it's about not committing adultery. But now I say to you, it's about what's going on here or here. Through all of that time, God has given us the commandments that we are to follow. And we can be thankful for that. A few practical lessons tonight, and the lesson will be yours. First of all, man cannot atone for his own sins. A sacrifice must be made. We think about 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, where there Paul is talking about Christ. And he says, for indeed Christ, and he uses the term or the phrase, our Passover. Our Passover was sacrificed 
for us. So again, this idea, this bridging the gap, this taking the old, taking the new, and making the connection, whether it's Leviticus, Exodus, Mount Sinai, 2019, Saudi Daisy, anywhere you want to go, man cannot atone for his own sins. The sacrifice must be made. Now again, jokingly, I'm thankful we don't pull, a, pull an animal up here every first day of the week in a, in a sort of a humorous sense that I'm thankful we have to go through all of those things, but in a very serious sense. All it took for us in that way was Jesus, one man dying on the cross, shedding his blood, making that sacrifice. But for us, we are to be the living sacrifice. We see that connection between what Jesus did and the way that we are to live. We don't have to stand up here every Sunday and sacrifice an animal, but every day of our lives, each one of us is to go through the things that we should do to be a living sacrifice. Man cannot do it in and of ourselves. We needed Christ. And whether it's the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament or the perfect, sinless blood of Christ, we're thankful that God has made that way. Number two tonight, obedience to God's details truly matters. It mattered in Israel's pleasing God through the Mosaic Covenant, and it matters in Christ's people pleasing God through his New Testament. If I could shrink that down for a moment and give you a couple of verses there, Hebrews chapter 8 and as well Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. We obviously are not going to read the entire chapter of Hebrews, chapter 8, but we've referenced it several times over the last few weeks as we've thought about the scheme of redemption and we've considered Christ and his sacrifice. As we've considered the old covenant and the new covenant, God has given his commandments and he expects obedience. And yes, while our young people have been frustrated with the number of curtains strung together in the tabernacle and what they're made of and how they're supposed to look, whether it's as detailed as that, or maybe something that's a little bit bigger in a sense for us to think about, a little bit more generic. Obedience matters. It mattered in the way that it did in the Old Covenant to the children of Israel, and it matters to us. Hebrews chapter 8, specifically in verse number 10, which is a reference uh, to the Old Testament uh, passage from Jeremiah that we read last week. Hebrews 8 verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And we see the connection, whether it's Leviticus or the new covenant in us today, God says, I want my commands. I want my laws to be on your, the tip of your tongue, on your thought every day with everything that you go through, truly being that living sacrifice with all of our being and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And he continues to make that promise to us and fulfill that promise to us. He will be our God if we will be his people and we will be obedient to him. And then finally tonight, sanctification or being set apart is essential for pleasing God. Sanctification or being set apart is essential for pleasing God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'd actually, I would do want to read this as we close here. And I actually want to begin back in verse number 13. 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse number 13. Paul, uh, Peter says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient, there's that word again, obedient children, not conforming yourselves 
to the former lust as in your ignorance. But verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. As obedient children, not in our ignorance, but being holy. The one thing that I would leave with you tonight is when we hear the word holy sometimes or holiness, I think we make the mistake sometimes of thinking about perfection. We think about the perfection of God, the holiness of God, and we think that's something that we cannot attain. God says, be holy for I am holy. God is not asking us to be perfect. He, has, he is asking us to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be different from the world, to be different from the sinful ways of the world. Tonight as you leave and tonight as in the, the coming week as you go throughout your week, God's not asking you to be perfect in that sense. It's why he made his first law of pardon that we talked about this morning, and it's why he made his second law of pardon that we'll talk about next Sunday morning, God willing. Not that we have to be perfect every moment or we're struck dead and life's over and sorry, you're condemned to hell. You have a chance to be holy. You have a chance to walk in the light. What he is asking of us is to be pleasing. And to be pleasing is to be sanctified or set apart. Is to do what he has told us to do. To be obedient in all of his commands. The book of Leviticus can be a little difficult. It can be a lot to consider. And again, I would challenge you to read a little bit of it, but I understand how hard it is. But I would leave you with a challenge tonight to consider being holy. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never become acceptable to God, obeying his first law of pardon in the sense that you have become a Christian. If you're here tonight and you need to do that, then we would encourage you. We would beg and plead with you to make that great commitment. Maybe you want to know more about it. We'd gladly study with you even this day if we can. But maybe you've done that. You've known that holiness, that perfection in a sense, that way of having your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. But through no fault of God, through no fault of Jesus, you, you wandered away. You had sin in your life. You made the mistake. You, maybe there's something in your life that's separating you from God. If it's of a public nature, you can respond this evening, and we gladly pray with you and for you. Maybe it's in a private manner and you can take care of it on your own time between you and God. The point is we don't want anyone leaving tonight with doubt, with questions. You don't have to. The price has been paid. The blood has been shed. We have a first law pardon, becoming a Christian, a second law pardon, and coming back to him. If you stand in need to make a change in your life, maybe need the prayers of this congregation, we'd gladly assist you now as we stand together.